Welcome to North Star Big Book. My name is Carly Israel, and I am your host. My sobriety date is January 27th, 1999, and I created this podcast simply to share the message of the big book. It completely changed my life. It always changes my life, and I hope it can help change yours. Hi, this is Carly, Recovered Alcoholic. Welcome to North Star Big Book. I have one of my favorite humans ever on here today, who I will introduce in a minute. Um, We are doing a new series. For anyone who has never listened to my first season, it is 30-minute episodes of me taking the listener through the big book. And the reason why I started doing that was I've taken women through the big book my whole sobriety. My sobriety is January 27, 19... 99. I forgot it for a minute. Um, And I've been doing that this whole time. And because of life and changes, people have been moving. And so girls would say, Hey, you know, can you take me through when you're away? And so I decided like, why don't I just make a podcast and they can listen to it anywhere. Long story short, that grew and grew and grew. And now season two, after doing a couple of really cool, like how to take someone through the first three steps and stuff, I decided I want to do a series where I get to have people that I know and people I don't know, because I'm now meeting strangers, which is so cool. And I get to have them share what they love out of the big book because the big book is boring and poorly written if you try to read it by yourself, right? (laughs) But if you have someone read it to you and they read it from their experience, strength, and hope, it comes alive. And I find so much that I get from hearing other people. So please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety- Hi, Rachel. Hi. My sobriety date is May 17th of 2001. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, 19 years sober. Rachel, how do we know each other? Oh my gosh, we were babies when we met. Babies. We were crazy young ladies that, um, you know, you say you, you were, Carly was my first sponsor. She Wait, showed- pause. Tell the story of how you got to be my sponsee. Do you remember? Yeah, of course. There was a large group of us sitting at dinner. And of course, I was newly sober and had a newly sober boyfriend. And um, another woman who was uh, we were running around with said, who is your sponsor? She kind of started grilling me. I'd been coming around. She was really in your face and very like, and, and, and I said nothing. Yeah. And so that was what made me pick you. Yeah. Huge, not a huge mistake, but yeah, uh, didn't know. Uh, she just said, well, listen, I said, I don't know. And she just said, listen, you, it's either me or it's Carly. And since Carly was sitting quietly, I was <laughs> Which like, has well, never I- happened. Like, no, in- never. In the world. <laughs> I think it's because I was just so scared of her. Yeah, me too. That, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, God. Do you remember what I said to you that first meeting that we had together? Yeah. You said you don't have to live this way anymore. I say it almost, I think I try to remember to say it almost every time I lead and And that moment, of course, I didn't understand what that really meant, but I understood you were trying to tell me something. Yeah. Um, And I knew I didn't, I didn't know how to live any other way. I couldn't picture any other way, but I knew that there, there, there had to be on some level. Um, So I knew that that was a big deal. And And that speaks to that seemingly hopeless state of mind and body that we come here with, because Mm -hmm. to you, there didn't seem to be another way. Your boyfriend at the time, who is now your husband, told you you there is another way and you didn't believe him but for whatever reason you followed him probably out of fear or like boredom or i desperation and 
you showed up and for one alcoholic to look another alcoholic in the eyes, which we don't do normally in our outside world. And I remember I touched your like knee or something. I moved in towards you and I looked you in the eye and I said, you don't have to live like this anymore. And what I like about that, that sentiment is it's saying you have a choice. And that's how I feel about the entire process of sponsorship in big book is I think a, the real job of a good sponsor is besides um, leading them to the book steps and God is helping the sponsee see their choices. Mm -hmm. And I do that through the steps specifically through inventory. Right. Mm -hmm. And your job is to pull out what your choices are out of your hallway. And my job is to walk around that table with you and ask you about them and point out things that you might not see because you're too close to them. And then my job is not to tell you what to do. My job is to ask you, you know, what do you think you should do? And then if you don't know, we say, go pray about it. Don't make a decision. Right? Mm -hmm. So a bad sponsor, and this is just my opinion, is someone who tells you this is what you should do. Oh, agreed. A hundred percent. Unless there's danger. Like, unless, yeah. the, obviously that's separate. Like, so I had a woman the other day who was going to kill herself. So like in that instance, I was like, this is what you should do. And she, didn't, she didn't do it anyways, but like, you know what I mean? So, and the other thing I want to say about Rachel before she starts is, Rachel lived about 40 minutes away, right? You mm -hmm. live about 40 minutes away. She came every single Tuesday and our meeting started at like 8.30 and she came at like 6.30 and must've had to leave at like 5.30 and sat with me and did big book for an hour and set up chairs and stood and greeted. And then the meeting was over at 9.30 or 10 and then drove home every single Tuesday. She spent like five hours dedicated to AA on that one day a week. And she did that for years. And to me, that action built your foundation. Nobody yeah. could have done that for you. You could have easily gone to meetings where you were, but you saw something you wanted and you took the action. Yeah. And I didn't know that that's what I was doing. I would be driving in rush hour traffic and annoyed and smoking and swearing. Talking. Yeah. <laughs> before like maybe MapQuest was around or yeah. you, I was writing around directions from you and wanting to tell you about every terrible thing that was going on inside my brain <laughs> and you would just be like, here's where we're at in the big book. And I'm like, this isn't what I want to do at all. Uh -huh. and, then done, and it would somehow, whatever was going on seemed either insignificant or the book always seemed to have the answer. And then I'd show up and learning how to get out of self by just shaking 200 people's hands yeah. once a week was, was huge. I had no idea how much that was going to change me. And you know what we both realized as we were doing that? Because what I always like to share is I was just a few steps ahead of you, right? I'm only a couple years more sober than you. It doesn't matter, shoulder to shoulder or walking. But what I realized initially when I would start shaking hands was I wanted, when people would ask you how you were, I wanted to be like, I'm a mess. Like, I, I can't do anything. But nobody wants to hear that. Not 200 people in a line, right? So you just start smiling and being, I'm like, great, how are you? And then you actually started believing it. Mm -hmm. And on those Tuesday nights, I was like, I don't know why I feel so good on Tuesdays. It's because we de dedicated four hours of our life to something that wasn't us, mm -hmm. you know? And we were just two crazy girls that, you know, people I'm sure looked at and thought, whatever they thought, what, it's another reminder, we can never look at someone in the rooms and think they're going to make it or not going to make it because none of us know. Right. I love you. I love you. You're one of the people in A Vision for You that is going to be my lifelong friend. Like you are going to be the pe one of the people, like we don't talk a lot, but I know for a fact, if either of us needed each other in two seconds, we, we would drop what we were doing, 
you tell me what I need, tell me what you need. And I, and I mean, it gives me chills because I didn't have that before. Mm-hmm. I have party friends. <laughs> I have people that might help me build a bury a body maybe, but that would be about it. They wouldn't help me like talk about it after and like deal with like, Oh my God, look what you just did. <laughs> Let's get to it after burying bodies. 132? 132. Yeah. So a little, I think this is, so this is the family afterward. Let me okay. say that. Pause. Why did you choose this? So I think there's a, actually a lot of the things that I hear in AA come from this chapter. There's a lot of little slogans and nuggets that people say, and I don't think they know that they come from here. I actually read this to my husband, my then boyfriend, who's also sober. And he goes, oh, where is that? In a vision for you? And I'm like, no, it's in the family afterward. But I think I love from after um, working with others, the, the rest of the book is about how we practice the principles in all of our affairs. It's a huge chunk of just how to behave. Um, and so I need to learn how to be a good, a good wife, mother, daughter, sister. I need to learn how to be a good employee. Um, and how member to of society, people. right? Yeah, you've got little kids who watch you. you. They don't listen to you because it looks like they're not listening to you, but they watch everything we do. Yeah. And they see how we treat other people. And Sarah always tells me, I only have one job and it's to behave. And I find that to be the most difficult job on earth. It is the most difficult job on earth. And especially <laughs> just to worry about how only I behave. Oh, right? I can't worry about how my husband behaves or my kids behave or my mother behaves. It's just me. Yeah. That's, and I forget all the time that that is just plenty, more than enough for me to take care of. So let me just say that, that when um, I was thinking about what I was doing, there are a couple spots. This was definitely higher on my list because I think there's a lot of nuggets there that are so good. And I, the, P, the part that I picked is especially relevant for me today. And I think like globally is really relevant for whether you're a member of our fellowship um, or just out in the world. I think it's, it's good. So with that being said, I'm about halfway down on the page, the first full paragraph where it says, we have been speaking to you. Yes. We have been speaking to you of serious, sometimes tragic things. We have been dealing with alcohol in its worst aspect, but we aren't a glum lot. If newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. Those were two things I heard all the time. We aren't a glum lot. We absolutely insist on it. And that's where they're from on 132. And you know what's so important about that? I remember, I don't know, were you there or not? But when 9-11 happened, Mm -hmm. were you at Tuesday Fairmount? Yeah. So I remember like 9-11 happened that Tuesday morning. Mm -hmm. And then the world changed. And I remember thinking, it's Tuesday. Like, do we go to our meeting? And we did because the meeting still happened because the book tells us, regardless of what's going on in the outside world, we show up. I remember being shocked in a positive way that people, even though they were hugging and sad, were still laughing because they needed to show each other that no matter what's going on, we're here and we're going to show up. And it's important. Like me and you got sober, thank God, when we were really young. And Mm -hmm. so we needed to know, I know it doesn't seem like a big deal to people, but we needed to know we could have fun. And those late nights at those St. Joe's retreats, playing car games and laughing and being inappropriate and doing silly jokes. We needed to see that. And the people that showed us that way weren't doing it because they were idiots and they just didn't you know, take life seriously. They were doing it for us mm-hmm. because they knew that these young kids that could go out and destroy a bunch of people's lives and our own needed to see that we can still have fun. 
Mm-hmm. And we've had fun. Yes. Your, <laughs> your laugh, I will never forget on those Tuesday nights as just being so loud, so full, taking up the whole space of, and it was a big space and yeah. it was like uncomfortable for me. People laughing in general was uncomfortable for yes. me at first in meetings, first about what they were laughing about and also that they were just that comfortable inside their own skin to be yes. able to let that joy come out. Cause I didn't, I hadn't felt that type of joy in a long time, but being around it for long enough made it feel okay. And because I, your laugh would always be louder than mine. It made it okay for me to start laughing and not worry about looking. I never knew that. That's so cool. But it's true. Like we get to do that for each other. We get to give each other permission to just be real. And when Kevin always says we get to blaze trails for those behind us. Like, look, I might look like an idiot doing whatever it is I'm going to do, but I get to do it. Like I, when I show up in Halloween at, at a meeting and I'm dressed like a unicorn, no, actually what I dress like now, and it's my costume for the rest of my life, which keeps changing. It's my inner soul. So mm. I wear what my inner soul, which is probably like how your daughter dresses. I wear, right. Like there's a little girl on my street who's pretty much my inner soul, like spirit animal. And she wears like rain boots and go-go things and like, you know, all of it, which I basically wore at meetings. And we do that because we don't want to lose who we are. We're not going to lose. That's what we're all afraid of, of losing who we are. So thank you for bringing that up. Keep going. We try not to indulge in cynicism over the state of the nations, nor do we carry the world's troubles on our shoulders. When we see a man sinking into the mire that is alcoholism, we give him first aid and place what we have at his disposal. For so his- what do we have? What are we going to place at his disposal? Don't drink, go to meetings? No. Oh my God. No. We're going we're gonna to give him the tools. And right. We're gonna the, help him. the steps. Right. So mm-hmm. one of the things that's really important and that I know that you feel this way too is sometimes we're the only voice in the room that is offering what we have at his disposal. And here's what I want to say, because people, I don't want anyone to ever think that I'm being judgmental. I, I believe that nobody in these rooms is doing anything on purpose to harm anyone. I believe everyone's doing their best and they're, and they're well-meaning when you're new and you're a new person and 90% of the people in the room tell that new person to keep coming back. It's going to get better that you should go to 90 meetings in 90 days that don't rush into the steps. Just focus on first step first year. They're not doing that to kill them, even though they are, Mm -hmm. they're doing it because someone did that to them. And that's what they, that's all they know. And that's what they did. And even though they were miserable, that's what they did. And then it's our responsibility to sometimes be the only voice in the room. And sometimes my voice is shaky when I do it to say to them, and I don't say to them, I say in my comment, when I tried doing that, I wanted to kill myself in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because when you took away my alcohol and drugs and you told me to just not drink and go to meetings, I could not breathe. Mm -hmm. And that the only thing that worked was the steps, which is why we get people in the steps immediately. Yes. Because otherwise, what are you supposed to do with don't drink and go to meetings? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and even think about the evolution of us as sober women, how we've learned to use the tools over time, where we had one understanding of the big book when you and I started, and now how differently we can look at the book and how much better we've gotten it going through the book. So there's even an evolution to that, where even when we were given the tools, some I wasn't taught how to use properly. And so it took years and years and years to stop trying to use a hammer like a saw or whatever. Um, it, took me, it took me 13 years until I was 13 years old to know what a 10 step was. Yeah. I was a teacher teaching me that until then. And I hope to God that we're always learning new tools because just like what grade is your daughter going into? Second. 
So if she was going into second grade this year and you found out in October, her teachers are like, she's reading at a kindergarten level, you and Alex would hire a tutor, get an IEP for her, freak out, okay? If she was in fourth grade and she's still reading at a kindergarten level, you would get the school involved and tutors. But we in AA can be sober and sober and sober and still doing the same exact thing reading level that we were doing at second year of sobriety. And that should be concerning. Our spiritual growth needs to match what we're doing. So it makes sense that we are uh, interpreting the book at the level we are now. And I hope to God in 20 years when we're talking about this same thing. I just interviewed Dave Turney. I don't know if you remember him talking about the fish tank story and everything. And he's 40 years sober. He got sober when he was 15 or 16. So like, that's going to be you. Like, how old were you? 18. Yeah. I mean, I was 19. So we're going to be not crinkly pretty much. No, never. I mean, just not crinkly, tattooed and not crinkly and have a chill little years of sobriety. And, yeah. you know, women will be scared of us because, you know, you're scared of the truth. Right. You're desperate. Yep. But I love, I love knowing that you are where you are and that I can give anyone to you and you'll give them the exact same solution I will. I will. Because there's, there's only this one. Right. For, for us. <laughs> for other ways, we're not having a monopoly. But if you come to AA... I'm not going to tell you how to read the Bible. I'm only going to tell you how to do this because AA only offers one solution. Right. Right. So I think the other thing, especially right now that I think anyone can relate to is trying not to indulge in the cynicism over the state of the nation. Yes. Right. Cause it feels pretty hot right now. Between our- a pandemic and our political situation. It, I can't even tell you how many 10 steps I get. Yeah. Or how about 2016, how many 10 steps I would get about yeah. a political situation? And I would be like, you guys, use this to empower yourself. Find a way to get involved. This is, you can't just be afraid. Find some action. Yeah. So I keep saying, I can't, I can't do everything, but I can do something. I love that. I can't help everyone, but I can help someone. And so the next sentence after that is about when we see someone sinking into an alcoholic mire, what we just read is we give him first aid and we give what we have. We put it at his disposal. So I can't help everybody, but I know I'm uniquely qualified to help somebody with their alcoholism so I can help that person. Right. Right. And so, yeah, there's other, there's these outside issues that we don't want to get too crazy specific about, but yeah, there's outside issues that now as a member of the world and learning to be a member of society, I can help with, even if it's just donating a couple bucks to a cause. Or knowing who to guide people to, because like the longer we're on this path, we're connecting. We're not connecting with drug dealers anymore. We're connecting with people who are rape crisis counselors, you know, people, and who can help people with, you know, financial stuff, like or therapists that specialize in abuse and trauma or family issues. Because we're not those people. So what we can do is what we have at our disposal, which I didn't think about it until just now. Besides the steps, is our experience along this path of living a sober, recovered life. And pointing, like, so I talked about this a couple of episodes ago, but when I was raped in sobriety by a man in AA, the woman that I went to that was my sponsor didn't have at her disposal the right tools I needed to go get help. And that is painful. But today, the way I'm trying to get through that is when, not if, Mm. when it happens to other women, I know where to send them because I'm not... I'm not a crisis, you know, counselor, but I know who to send them to. And I know women who have reported and women who haven't. 
and I can tell them, you could talk to them and listen to their stories and see what works for you. But Mm -hmm. we get to use it at our disposal. Will you read that last sentence of the paragraph? Because Kevin told me when I wrote this next to it, don't become a drama vacuum. And it's related to this sentence because when I first, when I was sponsoring for the first 13 years, I thought my job as a sponsor was to just listen to someone for like 45 minutes a day on the phone, talk about their problems while I had three little kids crying and and screaming for snacks. And then I found out there's a 10 step. There's a 10 step. Oh, those snacks. Those are probably worse than the 45 minutes. (laughs) Um, But those of us who have tried to shoulder the entire burden and trouble others find we are soon overcome by them. I have, yeah, so I have carried the message, not the drunk. I also have ask for help. Like you've mentioned that a couple of times already. And I think it applies with AA sponsors. When I think about people who I respect, whether they're um, religious leaders or considered gurus, they are always so very humble and saying, I don't have all the answers. Yes. Bring you to the threshold. I cannot walk you through it. You have to step through the doorway. And you can find what's on the other side. And I will be waiting for you there. But I cannot do the footwork for you. Yeah. But what's important about that for a sponsee is that she gets to see us saying, we don't know. I'm Mm going to help you find somebody. It's just like if you saw a lost kid somewhere, like at the zoo, and they're like, "I I can't find my mom. You don't know how to find their mom. But you can take the kid to the person who can help them find their mom. Right. 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 And so I don't have to, and so there's, that's twofold. I can take them to someone who can help. And then that help, makes me helpful. But then I also am aware that I, I can't find mom. I don't have to shoulder the burden alone. I can, we all have to equally carry the load. And I'm a person who wants to always, especially when it comes to my kids, my house, the family stuff, I don't need your help. I can do this and whatever it may be on that given day. And so asking for help can be so hard me in just those small little moments so I'm not snapping at my kids snapping at my husband and just being a jerk because I'm trying to do everything on my own and making myself crazy and anxious and pissed and scorekeeping and whatever else I'm doing I want you to know something and I think that you're wise and sober enough to hear this and to receive it so two things because of my divorce I needed to move to a situation where I didn't have my family nearby which ended up being a blessing because I can't do everything alone and I had to ask for help. And I'm like you, I would rather be starving on the street than accept the lasagna from somebody, right? (laughs) Please don't bring me a lasagna, right? And so I had to ask for help that way. And then three doors down, my neighbor, whose son is my, one of my son's best friends, was not planning on needing help and found out her son has metastatic cancer and it's horrific. And she, the level of help she needs at the basic level, can someone watch my dog? Can someone watch my cats? Can someone help me cut my lawn? Can someone weed my garden? Can someone, you know, help me figure out this? Can someone bring me healthy snacks so when I go to the hospital for chemo? And this is not comfortable for anybody. But when you've got, can someone help me with this and I need to take my kid to chemo? You just have to accept the help. And so I don't want you to ever to get to a place where you have to have something scary and tragic. So just start practicing now. Just start it, like, and here's the thing. You know how you feel when you get to help somebody. I love helping people. Does it make you feel like a burden? No. Yeah. If a neighbor's like, hey, can you help me with this? Sure, of course. And that's what's so crazy is that my other hurdle is have accepting help in the form that it comes in and not trying to control the way the help Yeah, is. that's not how I want it to be. Right. I, yeah, that's probably 
the other piece there for me that I need to work. So maybe one of your spiritual activities this week can be asking one person for help once this week in an area that you actually could do yourself, but an area that would make your life easier if you allowed the help and remembering it's a gift you're giving to somebody to let them help you Mm -hmm. because they might need that exact thing to get out of their own self. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This is so much fun growth. So isn't it great? So comfortable. Such fun. (laughs) So we think cheerfulness and laughter make for usefulness. Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over a seemingly tragic experience out of the past. But why shouldn't we laugh? We have recovered and have been given the power to help others. So I love that thought of cheerfulness and laughter make for usefulness, especially again, going back to like just the, the hotness of what's happening right now. So, and I remember you saying, I think I heard you a couple of weeks ago in your podcast, say hurt people, hurt, hurt people. people. And so what that made me think of when I was reading that sentence is laughter is a sign of someone who is healed. Yes. There were, there were times I'm writing that down the first couple times, first couple of years, I remember being asked to lead and I would just get like this sick feeling in my stomach and re retelling my story just made me relive it over and over. And it took years and years to get far away enough from that past where when I talk about it now, I don't even know who that person was. Like I talk about her and it's so bizarre. And so I know there are things now that still give me that like lump in my throat that make me want to cry. Um, where I know that there's still healing that needs to be done. So I know when I heard that laughter in the rooms or from someone talking about those crazy things, like now I, I know these people just have healed. They're just not those people anymore. What a beautiful thing. I, rem- I know. And you know what I love about that is two things. When the girl we're working with that's new is crying and she's like, I don't know why I'm crying all the time. I always tell her two things. I say it's the ice melting around your heart and it's the tension being released because mm-hmm. it's now safe. And the other thing is when they start laughing to point out to them, um, to point, hold on, sorry. That's just my son. Um, <laughs> hold on one second. Can you text him and tell him I'm doing this? Thank you. Graham, which one? I forgot I have multiple ones. Um, and <laughs> the other thing about that is I let them know that the laughter they're having is because like you're, you're healing, you're getting better, you know, mm-hmm. like how awesome is that, that we can laugh at ourselves. And I want to tell you something. I don't know if you remember this. We were sitting on my porch doing your fist up and you told me you stole a bowl in your inventory. And I remember thinking, why would you steal a cereal bowl? That's so weird. <laughs> and then you're like, no, Carly, it's, you know, a pot bowl. And I remember thinking, oh my God, <laughs> I, I'm like two years sober. And my first thought when she said she stole a bowl was like, I picture like a blue cereal bowl. Like, why would she steal a blue? And I was like, I used to, I used to smoke pot every day. I was a drug dealer. I dealt drugs. And my first thought when you told me you stole a bowl was it was a cereal bowl. So that was change for me. Right. It's those little moments. It's that's it. Those are, those are the moments that you got to remember and hang on to. Yeah. And we're going to experience a lot of them as we get older. We have no idea what our, the girls are talking about because there's so many new languages and names for things that we're going to be like, what? Oh I thought Molly was a person. Yeah. Oh yeah. Lean. I was like, what do you mean lean? What is that? I don't even know what that means. That, yeah. That is, um, that's one prescription. That's one of those prescription heroin type opioids. Yeah, we're totally, I mean, I'm so out of it now. I feel like central office should give us an updated, like new, <laughs> like new dictionary every year. Like for the old people that yeah. are like, this is what this means. Yeah. Because like when we got sober, you could only smoke pot. 
cracked. There, there were no edibles. There no. was no creams and inhalants and all. I mean, yeah, bowls and in, in, in cereal bowl. You know what I mean? Like, so it's funny. We're special. It's wild. It is wild. Oh, you know what else? That last sentence you read has my favorite word in it, recovered. Mm. And for anyone that likes to fight about that word, it just FYI, it's literally in the entire book. Everywhere. Because it's a promise. Because we, if I was, re, if I was not able to physically keep myself away from alcohol or mentally keep myself away for 21 years of my sobriety, that would suck. Is that a promise you want? No. I'm recovered from that mental and physical obsession as long as I do this work. That doesn't mean I can drink safely. Mm-hmm. All right. So keep going, lady. Okay. So everybody knows that those in bad health and those who seldom play do not laugh much. So again, laughter is a sign of someone who is healed. I never realized how much they talk about that in this, pa- mm-hmm. in this, in this page. Yes. And so that has been something that I really need to practice, especially over these last six months. I have had a hard time finding joy, not feeling anxiety, like kind of just this undercurrent of just, ugh. Of you like- know what I like? I like those. I like to follow. First of all, I unfollow every single person that, so I can't control it much in the world, Right. No, but like on my social media, because we're like old, it's just pretty much Facebook and Instagram. Like there is no like other things. Thank God. Cause I don't even have time. Yeah. On my Facebook, I don't look, I don't have anyone in my world on my wall that speaks in a language that makes me intensely uncomfortable. Like the rest of the world does because it's my like sacred place, which sounds silly, but it's my sacred place of like safety. Yeah. And what I like to do is like, I like those silly memes about like, homeschooling and one of my favorite ones which I'm gonna get wrong was about you know if you see me talking to myself it's because I'm having a parent-teacher conference (laughs) you know what I mean like that's what I need to focus on you know we're watching a lot of Tom Segura and Netflix stand-ups because we need to laugh yes because this is all so overwhelming yes it is is so overwhelming and every choice seems to have like really apparent immediate repercussions in so many directions and trying to understand what's right and wrong right now is so very blurred. The rules are so different for everybody. Based this on is their- unprecedented in AA it's- that there's no, I mean, and I can't physically go to meetings because of my son's medical situation. So I'm going to be virtual for the next year plus, which is yeah. great. I love it. I mean, I get to go to Heights Young People on Monday. I didn't even remember that it existed. Yeah. But D- Dave in San Diego goes, and I'm going to go now too because I used to I used to be my home group for nine years, and it's like yeah. so cool that we get to connect this way. But I also want the listeners to understand, like I felt this need as a recovered person that I needed to constantly pay attention to what was happening so I could be responsible. But what I found is I need to have a balance. So I would go from watching like in the beginning when actually everything was being talked about. Now it's just pretty not. I would go from like CNN hospital ER inside the ER like Ooh. to like watching like Bachelor in Paradise because I needed a balance because <laughs> it was so overwhelming and I yeah. didn't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there was a lot of indulging in Netflix. Thank God for Netflix. And Thank God for Netflix. Oh God. Um, one of the tools that I recently got that I'm working on, I added it to my nightly inventory. My spon- So I'm doing a Zoom meeting on Thursdays, a big book. Yeah, your big book, yeah. My sponsor lives out in California. They have crazy wildfires right now. She's like, the apocalypse is happening. And so she's a, she's a physician. She talked about how 
that per, that particular evening on our Thursday night meeting, she was driving home from work. A couple of her colleagues had to go home because they were being evacuated and they have no more house. So it's a pandemic. They have no more house. It's like, it's crazy. It's crazy. And she just, and yesterday she was sending me pictures of like a line a mile long of people donating everything they possibly could water clothing she filled up her she in particular filled up her car with things to donate for people and so she just said there's hope there are good people out there there is joy like it it like restored her faith in humanity because everything's so wild right now and, and i just grabbed right onto that and so my question that I've been asking myself every day is, did I offer joy or hope today? Oh, I love that. I'm writing that down. Say it one more yeah. time. Did I offer joy or hope today? I like to someone else. And so that plays right back into the laughter because I have to be healing and I have to be getting that joy from the inside out. I can't be like trying to bring it to myself. I have to be curating it from the inside and then putting it outward. Like it has I'm going to make my sponsees all do that to their love and stuff. They're going to love that. I'm sure they're not. I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> but what's good about that is it is not about, it's not the same because they have a question. Did I carry the message? Mm -hmm. That's different. Mm -hmm. This is, this is about being a member of society, mm -hmm. right? And, and it could be as simple if you don't have money as smiling at another human Absolutely. when so you're in your mask talking about how you can't see that I'm smiling at you, but I am, you know, like, mm -hmm. Or, or when you're at a cash register and the person that has to stand there all day for very little money behind the plastic crap and mask, mm -hmm. you say to them, I hope you stay safe. Like mm -hmm. those little things, like little, yeah, little it. things. It's those, those little moments. Yes. For me, a lot of times I can look at just being silly with my kids and putting the laundry down and rolling around on the floor with them because they are little and they actually want to be around me still. And they're interested in me and just want to hang. And so taking advantage of those moments that are, I know, fleeting, even though they don't feel like it right now. And they don't know what's going on. Thank God. And do you know what's That's, really yeah. inexpensive option for anyone that has got little kids? And I remember doing this at, when my kids were little and I was you know, obviously sober and I felt so tense all the time as I took cookie trays outside, you buy shaving cream at the dollar store and you just spray it on the cookie trays. And this is a mom that needs everything to be perfect and clean and organized. You take them outside and you go, go to town. Mm -hmm. They looked at me like, are you, you going to yeah. let us get messy? And then I taught them because like when we go on hikes and stuff, I'm like, the messier you get, the more fun you have. Mm -hmm. And they, they say that and it's totally against like my inner self that wants everything to not be messy, right? Yeah. And I just tell them, like, just take off all your clothes and put them in the, you know what I mean? Like, but mm -hmm. they know, like, and what I think of, Rachel, every single time I transfer wet clothes to the dryer is I think, thank God I have this many clothes to transfer to the dryer mm -hmm. because I didn't know if Desi was going to be around and I would have always wished I had an extra load to transfer. And I yeah. think I'm not the street who's so lucky that she gets to clean her son's clothes because, you know, Kevin doesn't. Yeah. Kevin doesn't get to clean. Kevin doesn't get to tell Kaylee to pick the clothes up anymore off the floor. Mm -hmm. And so when we get frustrated with those things, we need to remember we get to. Yes, totally. I think of you. I think of Kevin when I have those moments when I'm in a good spot and just, and remember. Get to. Get to. It's get all to. get to. Yes. Do you see oh. why I love this person so much? <laughs> <laughs> These are important things. Yes. Yeah. So living from joy is my new, my new deal right now. This is yeah. a guideline for living. Remember, we did not get sober to exist. Correct. It was life without living, death without dying before I got here. 
I didn't get sober just to go to meetings. I got sober to live yeah. and, to, and to make, like you said, did I offer joy or hope today to someone else? And how important, because that's what this, this part is talking about. They're talking about it over and over. We insist on enjoying life. We are not a glum lot, newcomers. So think about this, offering joy and hope today to someone else is service work because we don't know who can see us and who's paying attention and who's going to need our help. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Can you hold on one second? Yeah. I resume. Okay. Thank you so much for your patience. I just had an adult, basically an adult child that walked in my house. My son who's 14. I'm like a teeny little, I'm, he's five eleven and a half. I'm five four. He's a size 13 shoe. My and God. he is like, he like, <laughs> and then he's like why are you making me do so much stuff all the time I'm like what do you think i had children for like help me out brother you know but he's horrible at doing things uh, yeah i'm sure like you should you know if you want to have a good time make reagan put on the top sheet of her bed <laughs> and videotape it she can't even put her pillowcase on her pillow and she sleeps like such a wild woman that her pillowcase comes off every night and every morning, she's like, Mom, can you please help me with this pillowcase? It's literally the most fun I've ever had is watching my child put on. And he's like, and then you see, and you know what else I make them do? I make them call like AT&T and have to wait on hold to get a human. <laughs> because these are things they're going to need to learn how to do. And it actually brings joy to you because if, like, you're talking about bringing joy. Like, this is hysterical. And they have to learn how to do this because they don't know how to do anything. No, nothing. <laughs> oh my God. Keep going. What does God want us to do? Okay. So we are sure God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. There it is again. That is probably the first time they ever specifically tell us what they think God wants from us. Mm -hmm. And how many times do we hear people say happy, joyous, and free? Happy, yep, there it is. Happy, there it is. Um, we cannot subscribe to the belief that life is a veil of tears, though it once was just that for many of us. I love this last sentence. Um, but it is clear that we made our own misery. God didn't do it. Avoid then the deliberate manufacture. Of oh. But if trouble comes, cheerfully capitalize it as an opportunity to demonstrate his omnipotence. So it's not, why is this happening to me? What is God trying to teach me? Right? I want to say that again. It is what the question that I need to change is going from, why is this happening to me to instead what is God trying to teach me? So that's the perspective. And we talk about perspective. You taught me about that all the time in 10 steps. And how do, do you I- know what I love about that, about God trying to teach me and what I would even go a little bit further is that, you know, I truly like the idea about like a diamond and how a diamond does not become a diamond until it's got intense pressure on it. And mm -hmm. that it's just pressure. Right. And that for me, God um, doesn't give me bad things, but God uses things that happen in life and helps me become the person I need to become for God and for others totally. so I can help them. Right. And so I also have written AFGO, AFGO. Um, Sarah and I always joke and say we're having an AFGO, which is another fucking growth opportunity. And <laughs> we laugh and we're like, Oh, I got another AFGO. I called her the other day. Guess what? I have a big growth opportunity right now because I have to be sarcastic about it because otherwise I'll cry. Right. Like apparently I didn't sign up for this. But apparently God thinks I need to learn about finances yeah. and God thinks I need to learn about tolerance and patience. And you know what I mean? And like, and I hate when people are like, don't pray for patience because then God's going to put you in a long line. Like, come on. Like, no, really? like we all need to be patient. 
because we can't be just jerks that are yelling at everybody. So it's not like God's going to like put you in a long line just to learn about patience. It's called life. Like how do we live in society? Mm -hmm. And I love about the deliberate manufacture of misery because that's a reminder. We have a choice. We sure do. If you don't like your life, that's on you. If you're unhappy, I remember there's a part in the book that I, I remember writing down somewhere, I am responsible for my life today. Mm-hmm. And that if I'm unhappy, that's on me. I can't blame it on anyone else. Even if the other person is seemingly the one who's making me unhappy, I'm still choosing to either be in that situation or behave a certain way. Mm-hmm. We get what we tolerate. So I don't want to deliberately manufacture misery, which is as a sponsor, our job is to say to the sponsee, do an inventory and pray about this and let's look at like, why are you so miserable? Mm-hmm. What part are you playing in this? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I have been definitely waking up to, as, as we were locked down for so long, what, what I needed more of in my life, what I needed less of in my life. Um, and that, that really brought out some different things for me as to when, when and if and how things look on the other side of this how I'm going to, what I'm going to do and how I'm going to start setting up that process now instead of waiting until I'm ready or waiting until the timing is right. Like now is the time. So, you know, being at home brought that out. So here's the time that God's asking me to do this. And it's all about living more with joy and the person I want my kids to know that I am and the person I want to be an Alcoholics Anonymous and the person I want to be in the world. And how, how I was doing that, how I wasn't doing that. And so it just, you know, it'll keep, it's just going to come up whether there was a pandemic or not, it was going to come up anyway. I think this helped it really jump to the surface a little quicker in that sense. So yeah, I could look at that as poor me, poor me. I'm stuck at home with my kids. My daughter cries every day that because we have to do online school and she's seven years old and seven year olds are not built for this. And my four year olds just watching Netflix because been what, what else are you gonna what do, do with him and this poor kid and oh my gosh and they and it like yes so I could go the deliberate manufacture of misery and be like wow my life blows poor me in my house in the suburbs with my husband who's going to work with my Wi-Fi job and feeding my kids and um what like a million other and things. do you remember what Sarah told me to replace the word stuck with mm-hmm. what safe with yes I'm we safe are, in my house safe in my I'm house I'm not yeah. stuck in my house I'm safe in my house yes we wrote notes to our neighbors on our sidewalk when they would take their walks and one of them was I love that safe at home um so yeah so starting to change that so that's that question again is instead of like why is this happening to me because that was a harder question what to is ask. God trying to teach me because like hello, this wasn't just happening to me. This was happening to every single person in the United States. I know, I know. In the world. I couldn't take it personally this time, right? It's not just Rachel. (laughs) So, yeah, so I had to look at that and and think about that. So that was good. That was a good lesson for me. And we get to change our idea of what things are going to look like. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it reminds me about how important it is to be spiritually flexible. And I remember telling Sarah, I have to order an entirely new day planner because my day planner was full of all these activities that are no longer. And she's like, you need to start using a pencil. Like life is unpredictable. You're going to have to erase some shit that you think is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, totally. Yeah. Did you ever, uh, your mom had sent it to Wendy who sent it to me with the, the rabbi talking about that we haven't really lost 
our certainty. No, share that. Share that. For me to share that? Yeah. Let me pull it up on my phone because that I will read that periodically and it still just brings me. And I also have to always get some perspective. Like 170,000 people in America alone have died. Okay. I remember reading and watching a story about a guy that was our age who was a principal, no underlying health concerns, who got COVID and had to say goodbye to his wife on FaceTime. Like, and left four, like three or four kids. Like, we think this is hard. No. We can't even fathom. Like, my neighbor does not get to have both parents in the hospital room while their son is going through chemo and surgery because of COVID. Like, and we're like, we're stuck at home on Zoom. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, yeah. With my Netflix, my Netflix and my Amazon Prime delivery for anything. And now my kids are like, and Amazon is taking a very long time to deliver things. And I'm like, this privilege is killing us. Yeah, it literally, quite literally. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so it starts with, it was a question posed to a rabbi in Sydney. And the question of the week is, this coronavirus thing has really thrown me. I feel like I've lost all sense of certainty. No one knows what will happen next. How do we stay sane when we don't know what's lurking around the corner? And here's his answer. It is not that we have lost our sense of certainty. We have lost our illusion of certainty. Mm. That we never had it to begin with. Mm. This could be majorly unsettling or majorly liberating. This tiny virus of 125 nanometers has sent the entire world into chaos. All our plans are up in the air. Markets are going crazy. Entire countries are shutting down and we have no clue what the future holds. But that's always the case. We never know what the future holds. We only think we do. And keep getting surprised when things don't pan out the way we expected. Now the mask is off. We have to admit our vulnerability. What will happen next? We don't know. Our experts don't know. Our leaders don't know. Only God knows. And at this point, Oh, um, and this is the point. Only God knows. Close your eyes and feel the uncertainty. Make peace with it. Let yourself be taken by it. Embrace your cluelessness. Because in all the confusion, there's one thing you know for sure. This makes me just cry a little bit. You are in God's hands. Keep calm. Panic and fear are also contagious. Take every precaution as advised by health authorities. Wash your hands well. And every time you do, remember whose hands you're in. I love that. I love Will you that. send that link to me so I can post on the episode notes? Yeah. So, yeah. Because that is so beautiful. And you know what? I, I wrote down in the back of my book, our illusion of certainty. We never had it to begin with. You know, it's so interesting because when we first got sober, we had so much uncertainty and that was the only way we could go because we didn't know. And people in AA said, come with us, trust us. We've got you do this yeah. and we, you'll be okay. And then life got better. And we thought we had it under control. Like we've got this planned and this vacation and this schedule and this school and this time away from my kids and this time you're doing this. And yeah. now we are, we're being reminded that mm -hmm. we've never had it to begin with. And those reminders of getting a call from a doctor saying you need to come down to the hospital or getting a call from a friend saying you're never going to believe what happened. These are, those are like the chimes in the, you know, in meditation, the, the singing bowl to, to wake us up. Yes. You never had it to begin with. Never. And what that reminds me of is my only job is to behave, which is big from the beginning that we started and to spread light and joy and hope because me and you were dark vacuums 
of humans that just caused fear and anxiety and drama in everyone's lives. Mm -hmm. And it's time for us to offer what the universe and God has given us and AA has given us. You know, we have this gift and it's our responsibility because no one else, we can't depend on anyone else to do it. So when our mailman comes and our UPS driver with our Amazon delivery comes, we say to them, thank you so much for doing your job. Like we, we go out of the way to make someone's day better. You have your kids make a sign to the UPS driver, not just the, you know, the heroes in the front line saying, thank you for doing your job. You know what I'm like? So we get to spread that hope. And like you inspired me so much today. Yay. I love you. All right. Let's keep doing the work. Thank you so much for being a warrior. Awesome. Amazing. Sober mama with me. I love you. Thank yeah. you. So have a good one. Warrior, super spiritual, sober mama with me. Love you. Love you. For any listeners who would like to get deeper insight into my story, I just released my memoir, Seconds and Inches. It was a dream of mine for decades to write my memoir. And while I do not believe in mixing money in AA, I just wanted to share with the world that I did this accomplishment and it can be found wherever you normally purchase books, paperback, audio, or digital. I wish you an awesome day. Thank you.